0: This episode contains strong language.
1: I, I tell everybody I feel like I dropped out dropped out of the sky and in a big fucking marshmallow.
0: Welcome to Local Wire, a community news service podcast that brings Vermont news to your ears. The guy that was just talking, that's Dave, a 66-year-old formerly incarcerated individual living at the Hartford Dismas House. The community being the marshmallow he's referring to. Here's executive director of Dismas of Vermont, Jim Curran.
2: Dismas of Vermont is a therapeutic community home, and really what our focus is, or our mission is, is to reconcile former prisoners with their communities, but also reconcile the communities with uh, the former prisoners as well.
0: Dismas House was originally founded in 1974 by Father Jack Hickey, just outside of Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Then, in 1986, Rita McCaffrey opened the first Vermont house in Burlington and then Rutland. Currently, there are five houses, two in Burlington, one in Hartford, and a men's and a women's house in Rutland. Dismiss provides shelter and opportunities for next steps, such as recovery and finding permanent housing and employers. Residents have to help the maintenance of the house attend weekly meeting house meetings and mandatory dinners, and also keep themselves accountable for their goals. It's a three-month commitment, and the individuals can choose when they're ready to leave. How it works is if an incarcerated individual is ready for parole, they can reach out to their caseworker, who would then help with the referral to dismiss, and eventually getting in. Transitioning to housing from prison can be difficult because a lot of residencies are not affordable and discrimination can take place because of their criminal records. Here's Sean, a 45-year-old resident at the Hartford House.
3: The reason why the Dismiss House is such a special place is also because of the housing crisis, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no places for, for rent. So when you're incarcerated, you need to, you know, come out to a residency or and just when you're coming out reintegrating into the community for under supervision, um, probation and parole requires residency before they, they'll even let you out of the, into the community. Follow what I'm saying? So without having any kind of, um, you know, rental property in in place or an approved residency by probation and parole in advance, um, then you're not going to be released into the community. That's why the Dismiss House being um, close with uh, probation and parole, their relationship has made it so that coming in has been a lot easier of an opportunity without the, you know, trying to find an approved residency.
0: Here's Jeff Backus, the Hartford House Director.
4: Everybody that comes here, they come because they either, A, don't have any place to go when they're eligible for release, or they don't have a safe place to go after after jail, go back to where they came from, which is generally not a good place to be.
5: And so in a practical and literal sense, dismiss helps some people get out of prison who otherwise would not be able to get out of prison because it provides um, a place for them to live Um, And it provides connections to these remarkable staff um, at these locations throughout the state who are able to work with them and help support them by getting them the the kind of supports they need, the kind of services they need, and help talk with them about their lives. Second chances are not evenly distributed. A lot of us get a lot of second chances. I, I lose count in the 20s or 30s when I think of the different kinds of second chances that I've gotten. And I'm just sitting at dinner with people that haven't gotten as many.
0: That was Alec Ewald. Alec has been bringing and eating food with Dismiss once a month almost every single month for the past eight years. A cornerstone of Dismiss is the community dinners that each resident is required to make it to every weeknight. Here's Alec again.
5: Dismiss is particularly valuable um, because it does give you that chance to just sit down for an hour and just be people having a meal together um, that in a very simple way is a kind of kind of reconciliation experience that um is is hard to get otherwise we don't we don't have that many opportunities in American society where we're just sitting down with people who have had really different experiences than us we just don't the experience itself feels really rewarding it feels interesting it's we all can get sort of stuck in our little bubbles in our own little narrow experiences and seeing the same places and seeing the same people and um for me it's really valuable just to to sit down and share a meal uh with some people who are having different experiences and just to hear what's going on for them to be welcomed into their home is also a really huge part of of what what feels so so positive about it for me is just to be to be welcomed as a guest in somebody else's home and and to know that that's what's going on these people who are who are welcoming me have been facing some pretty serious challenges and, and continue to you know they're all working or looking for work and uh, they've got family stuff going on, but you know, it, it's also, it, it's just, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Like we also just have enjoyable conversations, you know, we just, what any, you know, what anybody, what are you guys doing this weekend, you know, how about this weather, uh, Red Sox and Yankees arguments, um, what kinds of jobs people are doing, what kinds of food people like to cook, <laughs> how people would compare tonight's dinner to some other dinners that we might've shared together. Uh, how do you make this dish, you know, when you were growing up, you know, that's what we do. We almost never talk about, you know, heavy stuff or anything too personal. So it's really just
4: an enjoyable conversation.
2: Through those dinners, um, connections are made, and sometimes they're very positive connections, whereas, you know, it might be an employment opportunity or even a landlord opportunity where you, you know, you might be able to identify somebody that's a good fit for your situation too as well. People tend to grow and develop with what they learn from their um, environment and their communities and from others. And uh, I think it's really important that we look at this two ways is that there's the community inside the house, and that would be the, the staff that are working with the residents every day. and then it's the residents themselves. They're, they're charged with the help um, governing the house, basically. They have regular meetings. They talk about things that, um, you know, one person may do that they might not have realized really affects somebody else in in a different way. Um, they talk about responsibility. They talk about volunteer activities, which ones they like and which ones they don't. Um, and then they also have that community where on uh any given weeknight, uh, a member from the community has come in and volunteered their time to not only provide dinner for these individuals, so everybody that's living in the house, but to sit down and actually break bread and, you know, be a part of that community. And that's pretty much where the Dismas Magic exists, is that um, there, there are individuals that not necessarily have ever been involved in corrections or anything to that level that are willing to come in And, and sit down on a human level and just talk and talk about life, talk about, you know, experiences, talk about hopes and, you know, hopes and dreams, as well as talk about hardships and just, um, be real.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. It's, uh, it's a little embarrassing, but, um, but, uh, it's nice to know that people care to go through that, because, I mean, let's face it, uh, it's a lot of work, it's time, it's money.
0: That's Dave. He's been in the Hartford house for about three months now. Kathy Fox is a professor at UVM. She brings her classes into dismiss every once in a while. Here she is.
6: By bringing in a meal and, you know, sharing it with people and giving your time, it's showing that you care about what happens to them and that you are, um, you know, treating them as any other human at the table. And I I think that's really nice. I feel strongly that we all have a responsibility once someone has done their time to try to welcome them back into the community. And I think it's in everyone's interest to do that. Uh, I think you get better results when you do that. Um, I I think uh, we have an obligation to one another as Neighbors And and when people get out of prison, they are our neighbors. One of the clear ways to reduce future offending is to um, help people reintegrate after they get out of prison. Um, And we put up all these barriers by making it hard to get a job, making it hard to get an apartment, you know, making it impossible to vote, you know, um, because we just, for whatever reason, want the punishment to just keep going or we want to keep people at arm's length. Um, but it's really ineffective. And um, to the extent that we take an active role in reintegrating people and welcoming them back and treating them like they are one of us, it yields better results.
2: As a nation, we're starting to understand that, you know, there is some inequities as far as who goes to prison and who doesn't go to prison. When you think about what someone needs, is supposed to do when they are released, when they have paid their debts to society. You know, it's like, you know, the easy thing is like, well, they should just get a job and, you know, get a place to live and, you know, support themselves. But if you think about all the little barriers that are in that person's way, and we as a society totally expect them, we're like, okay, start doing the right thing. When you have people that have barriers like that or have barriers to housing or You know, it can be even simply as if they are of working age and nobody will hire them because they have a record, then what are they supposed to do? And so I think as a society, we kind of have to think about that in a sense that people deserve second chances. And um, if we all say on surface that, yeah, we think everybody should deserve second chances, we can't just say, except for these people.
4: When you come out you don't necessarily have any existing positive support and the guys here they they lean on each other as positive supports and then we introduce the volunteers which is we have hundreds of volunteers that come in and out of this house and they offer their services they not only they cook for us but we have a newer initiative called resident life where volunteers come in they help people do simple things that we take for granted write resumes job applications how do i get my insurance started up it's stuff we've always handled in-house, but if we can tap into some of the expertise in the surrounding community and bring that together, that always helps. Bring It, it gives everybody a b- bigger identity. The stigma you leave jail with, I'm a criminal, that's what I'll always be, that's pretty much what they get told in jail. And then they come here and they identify with not only Dismiss, but the greater community.
0: Here is Eric McGuire, the Rutland Men's House Director.
7: Going straight back to work 40 hours a week is not going to reduce their risk of relapse. Nor is it going to re- reduce any type of risk of recidivism, but a well-developed, comprehensive, individualized service plan in which you're taking recovery related components, treatment related uh, components to address their risks, meeting their needs in a, in a manner that they're going to respond and then implementing some work in there. They'll have a greater chance of succeeding when they are out on their own, the greatest barrier and challenge that an individual has coming out of incarceration in the community is the Vermont Department of Corrections does not have a reentry philosophy. We will continue to run into challenges of reintegrating individuals into society until a reentry philosophy is is developed. That's the greatest challenge and barrier I have with working with individuals. They are coming out with absolutely nothing. The DOC
1: for me particularly did nothing for me to prepare me to get out. No doctor lined up, no medical things. what I had to have. And these people are the ones that ended up helping me. To so put it in a nutshell, it's a launching pad for, for me. I don't have to worry about eating meals at night. I don't have to worry about where I'm sleeping. And every the phone and all the help there's no pressure from from bills and landlords and this and this and that and it, you know the guy uses that for an excuse you know to go off so they negate all that kind of stuff it, it's up to you if you're going to move forward or not but you, you you don't have any excuses if you're staying here
3: coming into the dismiss house, transitioning was they were welcoming, over overly, you know what I mean? They, they opened their, their home to me. The community opened their, their hearts to me. They've accepted me. And uh, I've seen them accept everybody else that's come through these doors.
0: Sometimes the transition from prison to dismiss is really difficult. Some folks are disoriented by the community that they walk into. Here's Rutland Women's House Director, Heather Hurley, followed by Assistant House Director, Kaylee Rankin.
8: Those individuals will typically self-sabotage because mm-hmm. they don't feel like they're worth having what they have. Um, but once they figure that out and we're not going to just give up on them, <laughs> they it usually is very effective for you know, for how they see themselves and mm-hmm. when they have better self-esteem. Because uh, most of the women that we work with have been traumatized in, in one way or another or multiple ways. Um, so their self-esteem is really low. And so I think having us on their side and you know kind of advocating for them without enabling them is Mm -hmm. is just a big it's a big factor it's something that they really needed
9: it's not so much of them accepting it it's them believing that we actually are there for them
8: we try to get them to think about things independently so that you know when they're on their own they they can do it themselves right
9: because it's ultimately the goal the goal is that they reintegrate back in the community they have Somewhere to live, their own apartment or their own house or whatever, That some housing, um, a job.
8: They're paying their bills. They're paying their bills, <laughs> yeah. Seeing their children, if that's something that they have. And, and man- managing their life uh, with this same stressors everybody else has, but mm-hmm. you know, developing the coping skills in order to do that. Because right now, a lot of these women, when they get here, their coping skills don't work for them anymore. Yeah. Because they were ones that kept them alive on the streets, and that's not always where they're going
0: to be. Empathy and perspective were occurring themes that cropped up in my conversations with house directors and also student Kenzie Imhoff. She lived in the Burlington Dismas House for four months.
10: I think living with someone, you get a really real sense of like humanity and like real sense of like who they are. Hearing people's stories, you realize like the reason why they were incarcerated in the first place a lot of times, you know, isn't, isn't, so grave, as you initially would assume. You realize that a lot of life circumstances leading to them being incarcerated were partially out of their control. I would strive to be more sensitive in like what I was saying.
2: I, I just get to know someone a little bit more than I would have never gotten to know them. And I also get to understand what their challenges are. And uh, it's not just... Um, you know, being a former prisoner, but there's also other, other parts of their lives that kind of contributed or led them up to that moment where they did commit something and they did have to go to prison. And so understanding that their past experiences kind of led them in the way they are. And a lot of the times it's the environment that they were that they were brought into. It's not necessarily an environment they created for themselves. And so I I think I understand that more and more every time I interact with somebody. You know, everybody's just people and they're trying to move on. And uh, I think the most important thing for us at Dismas is um, we really truly believe that people should not be judged for the rest of their life for the worst thing they've ever done in their life. I've
4: learned patience over time. Because I came out of the, uh, the correctional system, too, directly here, and I, I can only imagine what the residents go through, but I had a whole decompression period happen to me, too. I wasn't used to people talking to me without wanting something, so I, I had to grow and learn to let my guard down, and it, it was not about, you know, crime and punishment, it's about adapting and patience and understanding.
9: My sister struggles with addiction, and I i haven't probably talked to her in two years. And here and there, she'll reach out, but it's not anything that's productive for her. But um, working with women that are struggling with their with their own addiction has kind of helped me to see it from a different perspective, because I felt like beforehand, I took it so personally when she didn't do something, when she wasn't there, when she said she was supposed to be there or... Just so many there are so many things that she missed out on and I took it so personally because it is my sister and I see it firsthand in my family and how it affects my family. But now working on the other side of it, I see there there's nothing personal about it, actually. And it has nothing to do with their family members. It has everything to do with them and the struggles that they're going with going through. Um so that
8: was just a really cool perspective to have. I went to high school here and kind of grew up here and Never liked it much, I have to say. And then when I started working at Dismas and the volunteers that that, that work with us mm-hmm. and are in it for the long haul that have been volunteering for years, they've just they've shown me the other side of Rutland. Like the real supportive, just amazing. We have the most amazing volunteers. You wouldn't believe how generous they are and with their time and their money and um it's it's a it's a community within the community. Yep. Yeah. And it's a really strong one.
1: They greeted you real positively, and you know, went over this, that, and the other thing. Get your own room. They give you new sheets and, and pillow stuff, and blah blah blah. Uh, you get a backpack full of everything from razors and, and deodorant and just everything that you could need. So that right alone was you was know, a Quite a shock. I'm not used to being that spoiled. It's nice, nice, but it's different. It bothers me to get stuff for for nothing. I got to think about that. I think it's just my generation.
3: It's been a great opportunity for me to really kind of rebound back into the community. Um, These people have been just so generous and uh, the community has been such a support tough situation anyways to be accepted or you know what i mean without anybody knowing what the you know why you were incarcerated you know what i mean but this this Miss house as part of the community has really brought us together with people that bring us food and you know what i mean the community members that support us um so that we don't feel so shunned and so like unlikely to you know feel well about ourselves and, and do well um you know there's kind of a stigma that sticks to anybody that's gone to jail it's kind of hard to stake it you know and the community members have just really really you know hit my heart um the way that they come in and bring us food every day and uh the way that they hang out and spend time with us you know they want to know us you know what i mean it's just been really warming to be able to to feel that
5: you know on one hand you, you can feel really really connected with a person um and uh you know, you've laughed together and eaten together and gone through the seasons together, or whatever it is. Um, but we're we're really respectful of their privacy and their their dignity as a part of their privacy, and um,
6: it's one of the real central commitments of the really of the entire reform movement,
5: not just of Dismas. But uh, as it's famously been put, that you know, I think Brian Stevenson writes about this, but none of us is the worst thing we did. Really important that none of us be defined by uh, the one or two worst things that we did. And when you're, again, when you're a volunteer at dismiss and actually even when you're a board member at Dismas, uh, we're, we're not asking and we don't know. Um, and that's part of the point. I mean, I'm a guest in their house, and you set the terms of, of our relationship and you set the terms of what we're here talking about. Um, so, you know, it, it means that I don't necessarily uh, know a lot about what's going on for them and their private life and that's that's the way it should
8: be you know when you work with for the state and it should be is there's a more of a boundary um of us and them kind of separation and with dismiss we don't have that um it's more inclusive kind of like you're all a big family right uh, dysfunctional or what but it's still a family i i just see i see it having a lot more impact and being more effective for support because there's so much stigma, especially around um, addiction. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we remove that and remove the us and them kind of mentality, it, it, I think they see themselves more as more more of a person, and not somebody who's d- diseased or you know a a, minim- a minimal person in society. You know, they they know that they have more worth.
9: It's nice being a part of their team. And we remind them that, we remind them every single day, like we're proud of you, we're on your team. And we, yes, we work here, but like we live here too. We love you,
8: so. <laughs> if they put in the work and, and they're here and we're with them every day, mm-hmm. you, they are, they do become like family. Mm-hmm. And when they move out, it doesn't mean they're that's it. You're no longer family. We still continue to support and stay in contact with them as much as they want us to. If we're somebody who's, who they talk to or turn to when they need help, then then I'll stay that way.
2: They really thrive on the fact that they know that there's a community that's rooting for them, that's there to support them, that's there to, that want them to succeed, that wants them to be part of the community again, that, you know, really wants to help. And however that is, whether it's just uh, giving them someone to talk to, helping them with uh, job applications or resume, or even in their housing search, or just simply with the with the volunteer cook program and cooking that house dinner and sitting down and just being human with one another, um, I think that's that's the biggest power. And then I think once we treat everybody with dignity, then. People start to, you know, turn that
7: around and, and provide dignity outwards, too, to others. We recognize the importance of working with the individual and serving the individual to put them in the best position to succeed when they do fully return to the community. So the collaboration, the um, the, the unity that we have as a whole is, is unprecedented throughout the state. We really all work together in the best interest of the individual.
0: Dismiss of Vermont went through a year of reinvention because change is necessary.
10: Having like furlough officers come into the house and like search
0: people's rooms is
10: like kind of jarring. The model of Dismiss itself for me was really challenging. I just found it really demanding as a student to be there five nights a week um, when I was really stressed out about a lot of things. Um, And Monday nights we'd have like an hour, two hour house meeting. And I found that sometimes the rules kind of maintain this idea of like formally incarcerated individuals need a lot of discipline or like control.
2: We have made some serious changes and we're, we're going to a less punitive model and a more um, reparative or restorative model in the sense that you make a mistake and you, you go back to jail now. it's Now it's more of trying to understand well, why that mistake was made and how can we help you make a healthier choice going forward.
4: Here we are now in 2021, we just revamped our approach to relapse because we're understanding it better. And now when relapse happens, we still have those hard conversations, but the focus is on treatment. Okay, what do we do now? And we, get you, we offer you treatment. If you want to live here, you have to engage in some form of treatment. Try to help, help yourself. Help us help you. And it's work. And as we're getting further into this, first I'm realizing, I'm looking back at all the people that went back to jail for relapse. And I'm thinking, we could have done better. And then I recently, only last week, had somebody come to me admit to relapse, which was unheard of previously. Nobody just... Admit to it—it's a shameful thing for them. And they came to me and said, "This happened. I—I I want help." And with no threat of going back to jail or anything, they just wanted the support. And I was like, "This is fantastic. This is—this is exactly what we're going for." And we got them into treatment, and they're still here, and—and and the people around them too. It—it it rubs off. there's a ripple effect. Everybody sees the support, and it—I think—I think we're onto something.
0: Also, over the past year and a half, the COVID-19 pandemic has seriously affected dismiss in those currently in prison.
7: You know, when the lockdown started to happen, many of the services, you know, weren't weren't available in regards to, you know, mental health services or recovery-based services. And, um, you know, the residents were responsible of following the same governor's guidelines that you and I. It was a significant challenge because a lot of the services weren't weren't as accessible as previously everything from getting an id from the dmv um to uh you know their required groups whether they the groups were performed by supervision or they performed by their providers uh we would commit to following the governor's orders we would commit to doing everything we could to keep our loved ones as well as our community safe by following the protocols that were in place and they they responded to it and um It got us to this point where we're at today. In many prisons, the way they effectively dealt with COVID
2: and um, in preventing outbreaks, if they could, was putting everybody in solitary confinement. And realizing that a lot of the people that are coming out of prison now, on top of whatever whatever adverse childhood experience they may have had or whatever trauma they had before they were incarcerated, have now had the trauma of living in a prison cell for over a year with only 15 minutes outside of that prison cell on any day. So, I mean, you can't put an animal in a cage like that and expect them to be a normal animal when they come back. And we're talking about people.
5: In some ways, the staff of the houses, um, they're they're really among the heroes. It's such an overused word these days, but. The fact that, that the houses did as well as they did through COVID is just a testament to the residents and their flexibility and resilience and the staff. We had staff at, our, at the houses across the state um, that were just doing absolutely extraordinary above and beyond duty
7: in the face of genuine danger. There's two paths, one's the hard path, And the other ones, the easy path and hard. I use as an acronym, honesty, accountability, responsibility, and discernment. And discernment can be defined in, in, in three words, understanding the truth, understanding the truth of your situation. Don't use a false narrative. You know, don't, don't opinionate something that's factual. And then the easy road being making excuses making assumptions, being self-serving. And then when individuals like Dismiss or agents or individuals like myself and agencies like Dismiss are extending a hand to support, you yonder away from it. Now I got it all figured out, you know. And if you think about that for a minute, if you practice the hard every day, that's hard. We're not responsible for their successes and we're not responsible for their failures. They are.
0: I'm Amanda and you've been listening to Local Wire. Be sure to check out our podcast for more Vermont news stories at communitynews.net or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more information on Dismiss and volunteering at dismissofvt.org.